Good morning and welcome into the show. Thanks for tuning in. It is Daniel Orman coming to you live from the Dream Magic 8 Sports Studios. Tuesday, September the 24th, 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 7 in the Central Time Zone, 5 out West in all time zones around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Tuesday morning. Yesterday, we um, we went through a tweet thread that I posted um, this weekend, and um, had some good back and forth. Still, still having some traction. Um, you know, it is it's a sad state of affairs, to be honest. Where we are. Um, you don't have to be a soccer expert to fix the U.S. Soccer Federation. I mean, obviously that helps. The biggest key when you're looking at a, a situation like the U.S. Soccer Federation, the biggest key in all of this, and it's one that I don't think is, is talked about enough. I mean, we talk about we need soccer people. Um, and, and Steve Jobs, there's a clip I posted, um, yesterday of Steve Jobs in relation to having quote unquote soccer people run the U S soccer federation. But it's really when, when you get to the, to the essence of, you know, what is the, um, what is really necessary? What, what is, you know, what is the, what is really required in that scenario? It's not as much about the um, person being a soccer person. I mean, obviously, I, like I said, I do think having a knowledge and a background in that um you know definitely helps but what i would say is that even more important than that is that you got to be a great leader because you could be a really good soccer person and not be a great leader and when you are when you are looking at a situation like the U.S. Soccer Federation, you need great leadership. I mean, bottom line. The way Carlos Cordero sold the Athlete Council on electing him was that he was going to be that leader. He knows and he admits, I am not a soccer expert. What I'm going to do is staff, I'm going to surround myself with soccer people. And he positioned himself as that leader. But in the time that we've seen since the 2018 election, it's been a year and a half I've not seen leadership. I've seen talking points. I've seen committees. I've seen corporate speak. I've seen layers of management. Those moves in and of themselves are not leadership moves. They're just moves. They could be leadership moves. But my point is that on their face, they are not leadership moves. That's where we're suffering. That is where we need change and progress to occur because we are... We're going nowhere fast, I mean, to be honest. 
Yesterday, the uh, the FIFA best the best FIFA uh, uh, awards were handed out. Uh, the U.S. was represented uh, very well on the women's side. Let's make that that point. Let's make that clarification because there's 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 nothing really to show on the men's side. On uh, the best FIFA men's player, Lionel Messi. Um, I know all of you Ronaldo lovers out there are disappointed. I'm going to say this, and I'll say it again and again and again. Messi is the best. He's the he is the greatest of all time. And there's there he's he's really not won the awards he should have won. Um. And a lot of it is down to Ronaldo and, and Ronaldo's marketing. Um, Ronaldo is nowhere near the player that Messi is. So you can hate me all you want. Uh, so justice was served yesterday in that regard. Leo Messi, best FIFA men's player. The best FIFA women's player was named, and that was Megan Rapino. I don't have a big argument with that. I don't think she had the World Cup that, that a lot of people claim she had. I didn't actually think she was great, but she was great in moments, in moments that counted. And so for that, I don't have a big um, big issue with that. I really think uh, Rose Lavelle is, uh, is headed for that award if she continues her form, and, and others will be uh, battling for that as well. The best FIFA men's coach, Jurgen Klopp. Um, no argument here. Um, phenomenal year last year in the Premier League. Won the Champions League. To me, it's that that really is uh, is is no surprise. I do think honorable mention should go to Eric Ten Hag, Ajax manager, um, who. Had IX playing some some brilliant football last year. The best FIFA women's coach, Jill Ellis. Not a big fan of her tactics, but you can't argue her success on the field and her uh, personal management skills. She did a great job with that team. And you can you can I don't know if you saw this. She she talked about. They that instead of calling their non-starters, their bench players reserves, they called them game changers. And you may think that's a little powder puff or whatever, but you know the truth of the matter is that's part of the man management. That's part of that personal management skill that um, that she displayed, and it and it definitely paid off. The best FIFA men's goalkeeper, Allison Becker. To me, that was a that's a very good uh, good call. Best FIFA women's goalkeeper, sorry Van Vendeval. She was very good as well in the women's World Cup. Um, you can look up all of these awards. Uh, you just Google, you know, the best FIFA football awards. Those are some of the top uh, awards that. Um, that were named if you uh the FIFA World 11 included Alison Delit Marcelo Sergio Ramos Virgil van Dyke Frankie De Jong Aiden Hazard Luka Modric Cristiano Ronaldo Kylian Mbappe and Lionel Messi um What I'm uh, what I'm struggling with, and that is, Man City had an amazing season last year. No De Bruyne, no Bernardo Silva. I think they're a little short on some Man City representation because they were excellent. So, like I said, you can look this up and find all these different awards. 
they're worth taking a look at. Um, you know, if you're, if you're interested in that kind of stuff. So uh, that took place yesterday. And uh, like I said, all is right and well with the, uh, the world when it comes to, to those awards, because uh, Messi is, is simply amazing. And, uh, and it is, it was great to see that yesterday coming up after the break, we have Colton Bryant coming to join the show. Our sponsor this half hour is Ducktick Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com. Use promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your order. I've been telling you about this new t-shirt they have. It's really cool. It's To me, it's it, it's really fire. You should check it out. Also, look at their notebooks. You can get them personalized, all of that. Use pre, uh, promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of that order at DuckTickBrand.com. We'll be right back with Colton Bryant right after this. Tuesday, September the 24th. Pleased to be joined by the head coach of Columbia State University, Colton Bryant. Colton, welcome to the show. How are you this morning? I'm great. Yourself? I am doing well. Um, The FIFA Best Awards were yesterday. Best FIFA Awards, whatever you want to call them. And... um, I'm a big Messi Messi fan. Feel like in the last few years he's not gotten his due, and uh, so it was nice to see him uh, pick up that award. I, I know Virgil Van Dyke had a great year last year, um, but uh, I, I think the award went went where it needed to go. So uh, I was happy with that. So I'm having a good morning. Um, how how was your morning so far? Uh, it's been good. Um, I actually was pulling for Van Dyke. <laughs> I'm a big Liverpool supporter. Hey, that's good. Liverpool's my second favorite team, so I wouldn't have been mad if if Van Dyke won. He did have an, a great year last year, and there's no doubt about it. Um, my main issue is is I feel like Cristiano Ronaldo's marketing team is better than anyone on the planet, and as long as he didn't win, I was fine with either of those guys winning. Um, so, uh, so I would have been, I would have been fine, uh, you know, if Van Dyke would have won and totally would have understood if he would have won, because um, he, he, he had an outstanding year and, and is an outstanding player. Um, but Messi is, Messi is different. <laughs> he, I mean, he's an alien, man. It is, uh, and, and you know, I, I think one of the things, um, before we move on, I, I think one of the things as Barcelona is my, my, my all time is that's my club. Um, I do Liverpool's my second favorite. I like them in, in, in the, uh, the premier league and all of that. Um, but, uh, one of the things watching Barcelona over the last few years is, is the fact that I, you know, I think Valverde is a terrible coach, great guy from all that, uh, you know, all accounts, but just, I, I don't think he's a very good coach. And, to watch what Messi's had to deal with for the last couple of years in terms of the team structure and play 
how much he's had to carry the load and still found a way to be successful despite the tactics and management to me is, has not gotten talked about enough um, where I feel like, you know, if he, if he had a, a quality manager still around, um, you know, I, I think it would have been more clear for a lot of people because Bar- Barcelona hasn't looked as a team, haven't really looked very good for the last few years. They've won really despite, um, you know, the management, which is, you know, really and truly, I mean, you know, it's 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 kind of the same thing you see in American soccer. Yeah, a lot of a lot of teams, especially in youth soccer, win despite the coaching, just because the players are better, you have more talent, deeper roster, or maybe a kid's bigger, faster, stronger, what have you. Not right. necessarily because of the way the team's set up. So um, that's been my observation, and and um, you know, like I said, I'd been fine either way, but you know, I, I'm definitely happy that that Messi got some recognition on that. So, so anyway, he is the best player. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And uh, all you Ronaldo haters can send me hate mail. It's fine. I'll, I'll laugh and read every one of them. Uh, uh, so, so anyway, so tell us Colton a little bit about uh, your background. Kind of, how did you get connected with a game? And at what point did you, did you realize, Hey, I want to, I want to become a coach. Um, so I guess it's, it started when I went to college. Um, I had torn my ACL the summer before I got in, uh, I played semi-pro in Rocket City United in Alabama. And then, um, I tore my ACL and then during my recovery, my ACL tore again. And that was my third ACL tear. Cause I had one in high school on the same leg. And um, my coach basically said, hey, you should start coaching and gave me a team. And I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't think I would like it. I really didn't like kids at the time. <laughs> but um, so I started doing that and little little by little, I started liking it. And then basically I became the student assistant at Martin Methodist. And then I went off to Argentina while I was at school. I got to got to snoop around and work at Newell's old boys, which is actually, it's funny. We spoke about Messi. That's where Barcelona bought him from. Um, that was a really good experience. I was in his, home, his hometown and then push came to shove. We, in 2013, we won a national title at Martin Methodist, which obviously is a blast. And then, I don't know, things just sort of went up from there. I, I started working for a tournament company called premier soccer services we we ran the biggest youth international tournament in the country and um it was called copo reados and it, it we were connected to monterey reados out of mexico and it just so happened i when i met nicholas the academy director he was from argentina and he loved that i worked in argentina so then he let me come do a little bit at monterey in mexico and then um then i was helping do international games so we we had the columbus crew play um Los Tiburones, Veracruz. So we brought both first teams in and did a big exhibition match. And then um, I think right after that, after I finished, after I graduated, I moved off to South Florida and worked in an um, academy down there. And um, this, I guess it would have been last year. My my mother had gotten a bit sick, so I moved back home just to be closer. And I, I came to the local school and asked them if you know they'd be interested in starting a a women's uh, program because I had noticed that there were more numbers for the men than the women in terms of athletics. And there's more women than men in the school. So it was going to be a title nine issue. So I, I, I basically brought it up and we fixed it by starting the women's soccer team. So you fix it by um, starting a soccer team. So you didn't just come to coach, you, you started a, an entire program uh, yes. at Columbia State. Now, where is Columbia State located? Um, just south of Nashville in Columbia, Tennessee. Okay. So you're, you are just south of Nashville and we're you, right near, like we have a campus in Franklin. Okay. What area? Right. So you, you recognize that here's an opportunity. I'm going to take the bull by the horns. I'm going to start this thing from scratch and I'd like to be its coach. What was what was kind of your 
your your first call who who's your first call to what are you trying to get together to get a program launched because so many times you you talk to someone and they're saying okay well i took this coaching job and this is what i was looking at but you were you were beyond just taking a coaching job you were building an entire program so who was your first call what were you what were you feeling like okay these are the things i need to take care of first before i can even you know put on my coaching hat um well, the first thing was obviously I had to go to the athletic director and and explain why I think this is a good area. And then I had to um, basically I had to write a mock budget and, and minimize because like as the first year, they weren't going to necessarily fund it like they do the other teams. So um, I had to do a mock budget and see what would be realistic in terms of our travel in terms of um, cause you don't have many teams like the first Juco cause we're a junior college. The first Juco team started would have been two years ago in Tennessee. So then we would have been following that year. And then, so there's not many teams around us to play is what I'm getting at outside of four year schools. Um, so we had to figure out where, where all we could travel with. So you've got Mississippi, you've got, um, Georgia, but Alabama doesn't even really have any Juco soccer. So it, it was very, and Kentucky doesn't either. So it was very difficult in figuring out how to travel and get enough games and, and whatnot. So we had to have, I had to beg a lot of teams to come to us. Um, but also we were only approved with, I think it was really weird because I actually accepted a job in, um, California the day before Columbia state called and said that um, they got approved. Do I want the job? And so I had to call the the guys in California and tell them that um, I was going to stay and start this program. So I had three months from the day that Columbia state was approved to put together the whole program, have 24 players um, minimum. I had to have 24 players to meet the numbers for, you know, title nine is what I was uh, starting it for. And then um, from there, I don't I don't really know what my first call was. I kind of just started doing like every day. I was just doing whatever fell on my plate. I wanted to try and get a schedule put together. Everybody already had, you know, um, games scheduled. So yeah, literally I called so many teams and I only got eight games. So that that was a difficult one. And then um, then I had to hold tryouts and, you know, Really, it was a whole tryouts and pray. And oddly enough, I got very lucky. I got a, a, a lot of very, very good players that I didn't, you know, I didn't think would come in a, at a tryout that, you know, it was three months before August 1st, which is day one of preseason. Um, so then from there, it was just, you know, praying it went well. And then and then finally, when you get on the field, you just have to you work with what you got. And I, I'm going to be honest, I I got a very. I had a lot more to work with than I could have expected. So, so you 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 not only have to start a program, it's like, uh, hey, yeah, we're gonna let you start the program. It, it starts in three months. Like here, here's your here's your on ramp. Um, yeah. <laughs> so w- where did you go? I mean, you said you you did tryouts. Where did you go to get to to get you know the word out for people to come? If it's only the second. JUCO program in the state of Tennessee. Um, wh- where were you going? Who were you calling to try to to get the word out about uh, this opportunity opening up at Columbia State? Um, well, so I had worked a lot in Tennessee. So the first thing I did was go back to my my tournament background, which was um, I used to host the Tennessee Cup, the Alabama Cup. So there's a lot of tournaments around here that a lot of coaches would have known me through being the director and so i was emailing i mean i have a database of over three thousand teams just within tennessee um from ages you know all all different ages but i emailed i I made sure i emailed every age even though if it was a coach for a u9 team i bet you that he knows kids that are older and then i went to the um the paper and then I put it all over all social media platforms. And then, like I said, after that, I just I just kind of prayed and hoped that um, things happened. And what you'll find is around here, um, 
there's not a lot of, I mean, you've got your Tennessee soccer club, which obviously is the, the big club around here, but they're outside of that. There's not many massive clubs. So what you find is a lot, there's actually a lot of good players around this area that maybe don't get the exposure that, you know, maybe they, they need in order to get picked up. So we were able to pick up a lot of good players just through the players betting on themselves by coming to tryouts. The players, it's really hard nowadays to find the players that say, well, especially when they've been told their whole life that, you know, you go to a four-year school, whereas Juco hadn't existed here. Um, it's very hard to find the players that are okay to say, you know what, I don't mind doing this because I'm good enough to go to a bigger school. And we actually, like my goalkeeper is phenomenal. Um she had zero offers out of high school. And just after five games with us, she had around seven or eight offers. I mean, she's unbelievable. And then, um, I mean, we, we had a few, like a, a few attacking players that got lucky on. A, I went to Nashville and did a, just a training session for one of the high schools and then picked up one of their players who was really, really good. She, she actually just scored a really nice free kick this weekend for us. Um, but yeah, no, I just, honestly, I, I just was calling everybody I knew to call and, and just hoping everything went as best as possible. But I think around here, uh, the, the soccer community is actually quite strong. And so they, everyone was supporting it. In fact, we, we set the record at, um, Columbia State's, I guess, athletic department for most, most fans in attendance. And it was in our first game. We had over 375 fans. So you, you start a program in three months. You're, you're like in the, um, you know, in, instant dinner aisle at the grocery store <clears throat> trying to throw things together and, and get a meal on the table uh, really quick uh, with, with launching your soccer program. And the thing I keep hearing from you is that, uh, you know, you're like, I sent all these emails and I talked to these people. And then I went, you know, you hustled. Uh, you went out and hustled and, and worked. Um, that kind of effort is, is what we need more of in American soccer. I just feel like too many are, are resting on their laurels. You know, uh, things have gotten so easy. Um, and, right. you know, and, and yet here you were, you're like, okay, I got to get this. I got to get this off the ground. I got to make this happen. And, uh, and, and got out and hustled and, and you were rewarded with that by, by giving some opportunities to some young ladies that, that didn't really have, uh, an opportunity prior to that. Um, in the case of, you know, bringing in these players, being a junior college, uh, I'm assuming they can, they can be in your program. Is it two years? Is that the max? Yes. So when they come in, um, can they leave after one year and go straight to a four-year school? Yes. So we, we make sure that we go through all, all options with them. Uh, first and foremost, I want them to, I would like them to graduate. Um, it's one, I mean, it's the reason we even have athletics at school is, um, athletics actually boost, uh, graduation rates higher than any other area. So we wanted to make, we want to make sure they graduate. However, I'm not naive. I know if I was in their position, um, how I would want so, for example, let's say my goalkeeper, she did get a lot of offers, and I, she's one of the ones that I was saying, hey, you know, these are some offers that you might you might actually want to take, and I actually thought she was going to, but um, after the University of Florida had said that she could be a good number two or three for them, it kind of it kind of lit a fire under her. She wanted to be the number one, and she told me that the only way she would leave is if Florida offered her. So she decided to sort of, you know, just stay with us, which helped. But at the same time I was worried. So I went ahead and signed another number one. So here I am this year, I have two number ones. So we have to flip flop around. Otherwise, you know, obviously I could lose the other one, but they're allowed to leave after one year, but we want to evaluate and make sure it's the, it's the right time. Uh, I would hate that they leave and then find that they don't like maybe the coach that they're going to play for. They don't like the area of the school, so we always want to make sure that they understand more about the recruiting process because what I'm finding is some of the players we get, um, we only get them because they didn't know how to start their rec their recruiting process. So they're good enough to play at a four-year. Um, they just didn't really know the right steps. They thought maybe it was like American uh, football where all the coaches were at all the high school games. And that's not necessarily 
that's not necessarily how it works. I mean, if you're not a part of ECNL or a DA, a lot of four-year schools, are, you know, they're too, they, they think they're too good to look at you. So if they didn't go out and email these coaches on the side, then they don't necessarily get the offers or looks that they, they should have. So we try and educate them on that. We have individual meetings with each player. And then first and foremost, we kind of make sure that, yes, we know you want to play the program, but does it fit you academically? Um, it's crazy how many girls just look at it and go, oh, my goodness, this is the D1 offer. And I'm like, yes, but they don't even have journalism. And that's what you want to do. So it's trying to make sure that they're academic. And some players will try and say, I can change my major because blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you really need to evaluate that and make sure because that's kind of your life. You know, you can, everyone has the dream. I know of wanting to play D1. But is it worth throwing away your dream of being a professional in the field that you're, you know, studying? And so there's a lot of factors to go into that. But yes, they can leave after one year. I would like them to graduate, but if it's the right, offer and it's the right time i would never hold them so you just you did you just described uh one of the inefficiencies in the american um ecosystem and that is in the the scouting uh of players and and this doesn't is not exclusive to to you know female players this goes for male players as well when you're looking at scouting it's oftentimes hey we're going to look at the da the ECNL and um, you know, we're not really going to do, do the, the things that you did to hustle uh, to get around. We're just going to be like, Hey, if, if they're not there, then it's just, it's not worth it, which leaves a, a massive inefficiency in the market. Gary Vaynerchuk business guy. I don't know if you, if you follow yeah. any of his stuff, but he, he's always talking about, you know, the arbitrage and it's that, it's that space in in a in a market or in a field or in an ecosystem that is is available to be exploited um and i think that space is ginormous and i think that you started tapping into that space um and as you described you know that there were these uh players who who didn't realize what needed to happen for from uh, a recruiting standpoint to get the opportunities that they wanted um, and the market, you know, has this giant inefficiency in that there's basically one kind of path that these colleges are going to go look at. And, um, you know, so if you are playing in high school or you're not playing in a club that has DA or ECNL, you are on the outside looking in, um, as a coach, um, you know, and, and you're in a, in a junior college program it seems to me you found a pretty good niche in, in exploiting that arbitrage, opening up opportunities to, um, to players. And then, you know, obviously getting them um, positioned as much as you can help them, you know, to, to move on to a four-year school when that time is right, either after one or two years, what did you find uh, after going through one season and getting ready for another season, uh, your second season in terms of lessons learned? Um, did, did you feel like after going through it that you, you had a better idea of where to go and find the players? Um, did players start coming to you how did that process change and what what lessons did you learn after going through um a year not not just having three months to get your program off the ground um i think a lot of what i learned was i i didn't think it would be too too difficult to attract you know higher level players because we were in because here in tennessee uh, we have something called the tennessee promise uh, and it's an initiative that the government basically, if you if you go to the, these meetings in high school and you have a, a good GPA, you get your first two years automatically free. And then if I add athletic aid on top of that, it stats. And since we're a Division One JUCO, um, but we don't have, uh, we're not allowed to have dorms for some reason, so we don't really have housing. But a retired um, doctor of the college actually. Basically, he built a neighborhood across the street, and we actually can scholarship, and you, you can even go on the NJC, which is our governing body, NJCAA, and you can actually click like housing on your scholarship. 
So I'm allowed to give, if I wanted to give a player a thousand dollars, I'm allowed to give them a thousand dollars and they can use that towards their rent across the street. So I actually thought it wouldn't be too difficult to attract some of the, you know, better players. And then what I found, what I learned through the, the recruiting process again was, you know, there's a stigma uh, for some reason that we, it wouldn't be as competitive enough for them. And because I guess it was a first year program, you know, last year, and then they're looking at the whole idea of, you know, these kids have never heard of junior college soccer. So it's fighting that stigma. So what I did first and foremost was try and find maybe an international player or two that come from very, very, very good areas to go ahead and open the eyes of some of these players. So that's what we did. We actually signed a midfielder that used to play in Manchester City's DA. Um, she played in Stoke City's DA as well. And then we signed um, a, a Canadian girl from the Toronto Blizzards, which is uh, historically, well, actually, no, they, they are the best academy to get out of Canada. So they always, I mean, most of the players go to Division One. In fact, the player that we picked up um, was was supposed to be on a full ride to Division One, and then something happened with her NCAA clearinghouse, and she wasn't able to get cleared. So we ended up picking her up, and she's also a Guyana women's national team player. So then now when, well, after we got those, you know, committed and, and nearly signed, because obviously we can't sign until November, I was then able to go to some of the bigger high schools, the bigger clubs and, and talk to players. And when they say, well, you know, I just don't know if it's good enough. I'll be like, well, have you ever played on a national team or a professional development academy? And they said, no, obviously. And I said, well, we have two that have. And are you too good for that? And so that sort of changed their, their mind. And I look, I used to be an athlete too. So I know athletes have a competitive mindset. And I always just told them, you know, you don't have to settle for an offer because it's an offer and you think that it's going to be, um, you know, you think it's it's how your friends are going to view it and blah, blah, blah. I said, if you think you're good enough and you want to you want to bet on yourself, I promise you, I'll get you the exposure you need. I think you're good enough or I wouldn't be talking to you. But if you think you're good enough, you'll take this this opportunity because if you wanted to go to the University of North Alabama, if you want to go to the University of Belmont, you know, all these D1 schools around us, Lipscomb, Vanderbilt, all that, all that, I said, it's possible that you go to a school now that may be 10 hours away and you're on a minimal offer. One, you're going to find yourself maybe homesick. Two, you're going to, um, you don't know the coach too, too well. Obviously, you don't know me too, too well either, but if you don't like it here, at least you're going to fall out automatically. So that was sort of the approach we took. And the only thing I learned was I wasn't giving our ourselves enough credit in terms of we can go for the the top, top players. I, I my my issue was, you know, I, I had the the self battle of, well, how are they gonna view this? How are they gonna view that? And in reality, I learned all I needed to do was tell them what what the plan is, what we want to do, and if they want to be a part of it great. If you don't, I'm not going to convince you. We only want players that want to be here. And uh, what we're finding is a big turn. Like this year for 2020, we've gotten really, really good commits. Um, it also helps that we're the number one nursing program in Tennessee. Um, one of the only programs in the country that had 100% uh, inflex pass rate. So, And a lot of girls want to go into nursing. So it helps us a lot in terms of our academics because we're very academically strong at Columbia State. We're actually, I think, 60th overall in the country. So, so. We, in, in the lessons that you learned, the, the opportunities there to me that, that you're taking advantage of to, um, you know, define an arbitrage in the market and, and bring in these players, what in, in launching this program, obviously there's not this long track record. It, it's not an, you know, a North Carolina women's program that is storied in over decades and national titles uh, to where now it's basically just send a letter and, and you have a player's attention because uh, it's got the UNC logo on it. Um, you, you, you're starting out still. I mean, you're in, still in the early stages right. when you look at this in, in a historical perspective. 
what has the reaction been from the players that you've already brought in and then the players that you're looking to bring in? Uh, how has their mentality either changed or or how how has their response been to to becoming part of the program and experiencing um you know columbia state uh as well as specifically your program where maybe in the past you know like you were describing earlier the the thought process is you know for your school for your school how, how has that impact uh you know been shown with uh with your players um honestly it's been phenomenal we i work a lot of, I, I i know it's an eye rolling for a lot of people but we work a lot on the culture because i, I truly believe you have to do a person over player um mindset otherwise you know a great player may not be the best person and then that can you know maybe that one player can score goals but if the you know nine behind them don't want don't actually respect them and want to give them the ball i bet those goals are harder to come by so what we go is for the person first and what were the big thing was with with especially my first year girls was you know establishing what we were going to call our cornerstone of the program forever and so they we decided it was going to be belief um and we all had to believe in each other we all had to believe that we can start something different. We all had to believe that, you know, we're starting a foundation that is going to, you know, boom in the future and that there will never be, there will never be another, you, you never have the opportunity to be another first year. You know what I mean? Like, so every one of these players were the, the start of something new. And then the mentality coming in uh, for the newer players is, can you can you stick to this standard and then add something to it? Because as a player, you either you you either add something, you subtract something, you multiply or you divide. So you either bring multiplies and bring bring them all together. Um, you're able you're a type of player that maybe athletically you can bring a certain level, but I, we can find a thousand players that can bring something athletically. What can you bring personally to us? And then um, dividing, are you the player that creates a divide within the team? And obviously that's not what you want. What can you add, whether it's personally or athletically? And then do you subtract? So once again, is is your personality going to fit or are we going to have issues? And I think that that's a, that was our premium as we started. And, you know, by doing that, we've been able to really identify and attract some, some really good talent. So, for example, we have a, a girl that's, She's here with us this year, but she just wasn't eligible to play until next year. Um, but she's on a she was a Division One transfer from Belmont University, and she um, she was on a full ride there. She decided to come here. Um, I, I don't I don't exactly know what it was. I just know that um, we're we're happy to have her. She's a she's a phenomenal person and even better player, which is rare. And so what we we've done is try and um, Try and just establish that piece and every player that comes in, the first thing that they're, they're told is, uh, you know, we want to be the program that players want to join, not that we have to convince them. And so they know that straight away. And then the last question I always ask them, and even my players will ask them if they ever come visit the players or whatever, is why should we want you? It's different because every player goes into a school thinking, oh, yeah, this coach wants me. But the question is why? Why should we want you? And that's a really hard one for him to answer, um, but I, I I think I'm hitting on what you on what you asked. It's just um, there there's just a certain standard of that we we set for each other and expectations. And I think during their visits to us and everything, it's very clear. Um, I, I I don't know how to explain it, and this is exactly what I tell the recruits. I, I can't really explain what we've managed to create here, but everyone that visits. They, they want to commit straight away. I just don't let them because I, I always, it's like, a, you know, you go to church, all of a sudden you're the most religious person in the world. And then two days later, you're back to your old way. So I want to make sure that that euphoria of, yes, you enjoyed it, blah, blah, blah. I want to make sure you still have that excitement, you know, two or three days later. And then maybe we'll talk about it. So we've gone this entire interview and it's been fascinating. There's so many 
trails we could go down uh, and we're scratching the surface on, on on quite a few of them in terms of scouting recruiting um two-year schools versus four-year schools uh, the arbitrage in the market in in those areas one of the things we've not gotten to that i want to ask you uh is what is your personal coaching philosophy what how do you like to set your teams up to play and how is that philosophy shaped by your overall expectations of your of your program in terms of some of the things you were just mentioning about culture belief uh playing together connecting to one another etc so what is your playing philosophy and how is that shaped by those overall principles that you uh try to run your program uh under so it's all it all is shaped around trust so i might every player especially all your best players say that they're a striker and attacking mid or some of them are actually center backs and that's good. But how many players, I mean, if you just look at your average player that goes to a division one school as a striker, they end up playing fullback. They end up playing somewhere different. Um, but that's, that's because there's better players in those areas. So it's all built off trust. I will bring in players, but I, I tell them like, you know, obviously I think you're good, but you have to trust that I'm going to play you in the spot that you're going to finish the most. And so my playing philosophy is all based on just decision making and defensive um, defensive mindset. So I will find a way to score, but if we get scored on a hundred times, it's not going to work. So defensively, uh, we have to have a certain level of organization. So I need a I need a type of player that's willing to listen. Um, you may be the best player on the field, but if you're not listening, you're creating groups that are. You can defend while you attack, and you can attack while you defend. And it's a very, there's a fine line on how to do that. And so it's it's about trust that the players will believe in, you know, what we've done before, how we're bringing to it. And so I, I don't know how to exactly answer it because my personal philosophy is you want to create the well-rounded player that makes the right decisions. And how you do that is different from player to player. And how that goes from individual meetings to how you set up a session to everything. We want them to know decision-making skills the the only thing that i do not budge on is defensive principles so we have to have a player that's willing to work back if they're one of those strikers that's not willing to um that's an issue for me so i guess those standards and expectations help set the philosophy just through you know what their trust is in in their players around them and everything else but in the terms of system of play and all that i don't have one you you get your players and you figure out what fits them the best. So I might have recruited for a four, two, three, one, which I did, but we ended up playing the first four or five games in a three, four, one, two, and we're having massive success with it. Um, it's just about trying to fit it. And what we realized was against some of the better teams we play, it's really hard to cover the gaps for counterattack. So we went back into our four, two, three, one and flourished again, um, took another step forward. So it's, you know, I make mistakes in terms of decisions, and they make they definitely make mistakes in terms of decisions on the field. But it's 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 a matter of I still trust them, they still trust me, and so those core principles, I, I guess they they really are the philosophy. It's, it's a matter of you know the learning theory. Vygotsky's learning theory is really trial and error, and so everything we do, we're, we're, we have to trust that when we try something, we tr- we're not trying it just to try it; we're trying it because we believe it's the best decision. So if a player misses a pass in a game, the play- the players around them are not allowed to be, I don't want to say not allowed. They're encouraged not to be too negative of it because nobody's perfect. And, you know, you can't give me a game that you made a perfect decision every time. So maybe it's possible your teammate messed up in their decision making, but the best players will help make that decision, that bad decision better. So the question is, do you make, can you make your teammate look better? And if so, or program if you can't make your teammate look better and it's about you you're going to have a struggle so yeah yeah no that's good right that's good so um as we kind of wrapping up here i'm curious uh, when you're watching uh football on on tv or in live matches i know you're you're a liverpool supporter uh that's a good that's a great club uh to support um 
what are the the managerial influences that you you use um, in in your management? Whether that's you know your man management style, maybe it's um, you know some of your tactical philosophy. Where do you go for inspiration? I love Pep and I love Klopp because they're both different. And I feel like if I can have the possession principles of Pep with the counter and defensive principles of Klopp, then you can't beat us. And so it's making the the decision on do you, is it time to play out or is it time to counter? Because sometimes City play a bit slower in the buildup, you know, to, to maintain numbers up moving forward and make creates fluidity. And that's great. But at the same time, they have to get expansive to do that versus Liverpool have found a way to be expensive while still plugging the the middle for stopping counters. So it's it's they're both very different, but they're similar in ways. But I think if you could combine the both both tactics of both sides, you might have a team that's unstoppable. And so that's where I, you know I I look a lot into that in terms of you know the man managing piece. I I just I had a bad coach at one point in my playing career, and I just based I, – I knew straight away I wouldn't be like him. That was my first rule for myself. And so my man management, I don't necessarily – you can't really see man management, especially at the professional level. I, I do a lot of ID camps, and I love to go and, and shadow coaches at a higher level. Um, so I see how they work with them. But I'm I, I'm also a nerd, and when I was in school, I did a – my master's thesis on the sport psychological aspect of um, sport and coaching. And, you know, you can be more authoritative with the more elite athlete, but you need to be more um, virtuous with some of the other ones. You don't need to be submissive. You need to be cooperative. You don't need to be an authoritarian. So I'm, I look at all the statistical things and then, you know, I really question myself, where do I think I fit? And you, you just pick and choose your battles on, you know, I, I base everything I do off positivity, but it's it, you can also be demanding without being demeaning. So I think that there's a positive way to be demanding without, you know, while telling them you don't always have to say, oh, it's all about fun. Have it be perfect. They just have to. Like I said, there's a certain level of trust you create that when you can be you can give constructive criticism and they don't respond in a negative manner. And I think that. um that's my man managing style is uh, my, my number one, first and foremost is to learn the player. It used to be that the player is supposed to learn the coach and go off that. I, I truly don't believe that specifically with this, this generation. I, I think that the way to get the best out of them is to you learn the player, the players to learn their teammates. So I actually created some random game that I was up to like, my assistants were laughing at me. I was up to like two in the morning because I wanted to, create a game that asks some very deep questions in front of everyone of the whole team um, where they had to write stuff on a note card. And then at the end of the note card, they had to put, who am I? And so when each player went up and wrote a note card, we had to try and guess whose card it was based upon the question. And what we were finding is we didn't know each other as well as we thought we did. So we were working on a way to create empathy. And I think that was, that was our big piece to, my man management style was one to learn the players to for the players to learn each other. And then we build off that. Um, but in terms of tactics, Pep and Klopp, in terms of man management, I just, you know, it's different to every player. So I don't think you can ever, you can't have a Sir Alex Ferguson style of management. Cause if you look back, you've got your Roy Keane who absolutely can't stand him. So, 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 so in your pop, uh, uh, pop Pep versus Klopp, um, and I and I love that answer uh, there. Um, are you are you a fashionista like Pep? Are you like, hey, I am going comfortable like Klopp? Oh, dude, no, I'm I'm comfortable. So I the exact same stuff that the players do outside of we have our coaching shorts and a and a shirt. So. Um, so, so from a fashion standpoint, you land on the Klopp scale. My next question uh, is goal celebration. Are you Klopp running on the field celebrating with Allison or are you Pep just doing a little fist pump going back to your chair? I won't. I can't run on the field. I won't do that because then I get cards and whatnot. But, um, no, I'm, I'm very animated, so I'm just as happy as, as – I'd say I'm a bit of both because I, I can't leave the side. I know I can't leave the side. I will run on the sideline as long as it's not towards the other team's bench. But um, 
in terms of enthusiasm, I, I I'm super passionate. I, I'm one of the ones that wear my heart on my sleeve. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'm similar to Pep there, but at times uh, with with <laughs> with Pep, I think Pep's the same way as Klopp. I think they both are just as crazy. Uh, they both want to celebrate, and I think there's times we've even seen Pep Pep do something abnormal. Um, you can't plan those things. You just when it, if it's a normal goal that you know you will respond a certain way, but then you have this weekend. I literally looked at the girl taking a free kick and said, "Hey, hit it top ends," and sure enough, she she hit it off the top crossbar and it went in, and we all went mental. So you can't really plan those things. Well, um, I look forward to seeing video of your sideline celebrations, uh, and uh, I'll do all I can to help them go viral. Uh, if you're as animated as you say you are uh, on the sideline, my my eight year old, he uh, he has perfected the uh, the Klopp goal celebration, the little staggered uh, fist pump in the air thing. It's it's quite funny and uh, uh, really iconic. And so uh, I always get a good laugh when when he goes celebrating a goal and, and pulling out the uh, the Jurgen Klopp goal celebration. So uh, awesome. we'll definitely be checking uh, Twitter uh, and, and Instagram and other places uh, to, to to check out some of your goal celebrations uh, uh, and see if we see if we can't help them go viral. So Colton, look, <laughs> thanks for joining the show. Thanks for coming on the show, and um, I, I really, really do appreciate you kind of uh, peeling the layers back uh, on the onion uh, and kind of talking about how you how you do what you do beyond just you know the tactical like uh, you know we played a game and and here's what we looked at x's and o's but just to actually get into culture building program building finding players in the gaps uh in in the inefficiencies in the market uh, i really do uh think it was it was a, a lot of really good insight that you shared today so i appreciate you coming on the show no problem man there's x's and o's and then there's coaching and uh, i'm working on a book let's call it that but um I think Exynos are one one fourth of it. Well, I look forward to checking out that book when uh, when you get done with it. And like I said, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Th- thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That is Colton Bryant. Really appreciate him coming on the show and uh, sharing his thoughts and insights on uh, his program there at Columbia State in Tennessee, but also just the market, coaching, culture building, etc. So speaking of culture building, check out Charity Water at charitywater.org. They are changing cultures by bringing clean drinking water to people all over the world. And you can be a part of that story at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. to thank Colton for uh, coming on the show. Colton Bryant, uh, head coach of Columbia State. He's not just a head coach. The guy's building a program from scratch. And um, to hear some of his insights and thoughts on that whole process was fascinating. And one of the things he brought up was uh, an inefficiency in our scouting process here in American soccer. Everything has been channeled into one funnel. And that funnel is exclusive. It is elitist. And 
it is not uh, based on finding the best. It's it's based on finding the best of what is available in that channel. And that is not always the case in terms of finding the best players. And it also means it's not always the case in terms of finding and providing opportunity opportunity and access to players. And um, our system, whether it's the U.S. Soccer Development Academy, which is administered by the Federation, or you have programs like the ECNL, um, which is the, you know, Elite Club National League, uh, which is part of U.S. Club Soccer. These different programs are not necessarily indicative of giving every player in a country an opportunity. It is about just giving a few an opportunity in select markets. Um, there are entire states without DA and ECNL. And if we have entire states, not cities, but entire states without that, there's no way that we can be saying we're trying to find our best. And if our scouts, both for the U.S. soccer uh, youth national team programs, as well as for colleges and universities, are not exploring the talent outside of those areas, um, then we can't say we're really trying to do our best to find our best players. I've heard countless stories over the last several years of players who were not playing in those environments who were told that in order to get scouted, in order for us to consider you for our, our youth national team, you have to get into a DA. If you keep playing where you are, we're not even, we're not going to call you in anymore. We're not going to bring you in anymore. Uh, We're not going to look at you anymore. If the player was good enough to get your attention in the first place without the DA, to make that a requirement of a family who may not even live within an area of a DA is absurd. You know, I had uh, Chris Richards' dad, Ken, on the show a few months ago. Ken and his family are from uh, the Birmingham, Alabama area. And Chris grew up playing in the Birmingham area. And they realized that the level of competition wasn't as good as, as it could be. And, and, and they were really hoping for an opportunity for him to get a, more exposure. That required them to send Chris to live with a host family in Houston, Texas. And then from there, he got some opportunities in Dallas. And then from Dallas, he eventually made his way to Bayern Munich. In a country like the United States, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm from a small town in the middle of nowhere. I'm a really, really good player. And there's just no way to get any kind of infrastructure around that player where they live locally. I understand that. Birmingham, Alabama is a city of uh, in a metro market of over a million people. To not have the ability to have the club infrastructure in an area like that to support a player is absurd. When you look at countries around the world and the players that they're putting out and the level of that talent, uh, we're we are not doing the soccer part the right way. And there is a giant arbitrage in the market as Colton pointed out uh, in the way that he's having to go out and find players, players that are not getting opportunities to get seen and scouted just because they're not playing in ECNL or DA. And we need to reevaluate how we do what we do, especially when it comes to scouting. So um, I really do appreciate Colton coming on the show and sharing his ideas. Thanks for watching the show. You can watch every day at facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at danielworkman.com. You can check me out on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. I want to leave you with this thought. It was one of the thoughts I talked about yesterday uh, on the show, and it was on the tweet thread, but it's something that I believe is a core belief of mine. I believe that American soccer could be, and I think should be, the greatest soccer country on earth. It is our federation that is getting in the way of that, but we could be and should be so much better. And I hope that you will take some time out of your day to figure out a way that you can help make American soccer better right where you are. 
are. Thanks for joining the show. We'll see you again tomorrow. <laughs>